Welcome back to episode 17 of Money Equals M Squared, brought to you by Lagus Lucas and Torello Wealth Management. My name is Mike Torello, and I'm here with today's guest, Brian Etter, managing partner from Legacy Law Partners, as we're going to talk about all things estate planning and what you need to know about it. So, Brian, thanks a lot for coming on today. Yeah, thank you for having me, Mike. I appreciate it. No problem. So, Brian and I met a few years ago. We started doing some work together, talking a little bit about you know how estate planning fits in with financial planning and why it's important to, to clients and really everyone. And Brian, why don't you tell everyone just a little bit about yourself and what they should really know about you? Yeah, thank you. And first of all, I'm really happy that you mentioned how much estate planning and financial planning kind of correlate. Um, a lot of people actually, you know, kind of talk in terms of they run adjacent or one complements the other. I think if you're doing both of them correctly, you're kind of doing them both at the same time. They're really kind of intertwined and integrate. Um, and people should be really looking out for that, right? Kind of um, opting to work with professionals who see things the same way um, because that's important. You know, you really don't want one to be kind of misaligned or pulling away from the other. You, you want it all pulling in the right direction. Yeah, you know, and it's funny because like whenever we're helping people with plans and stuff, the estate plan, you know, what do you want to do with your money? What happens after you pass away? That's part of the conversation. So now it's just taking that next step and actually creating the estate plan. And like you said, it works together. It's really one plan that's really working for you. Absolutely. And chiming back into your question about who I am and, you know, why I'm here and all that. Um, so as you mentioned, I'm the managing partner of Legacy Law Partners based right here in North Haven. Um, so I've been doing estate planning, business succession planning, estate administration work for clients for uh, upwards of about a decade by now. Um, I came out of law school, Tulane Law, in 2012, and I spent a little bit of time working at a real estate you know, law firm down in Manhattan for the first about year and a half of my career. Um, and then I uh, yeah, started doing estate planning right here in North Haven, and it's been fast and furious ever since. You know, It's been a, a wonderful practice area to be working within. Um, a lot of people, when they think of attorneys, they think of you know, that extremely stressed out lifestyle, nights and weekends and battling in court. Um, we're really very lucky over at our firm to be dealing with um, a lot of clients who are seeking us optionally, right? They care a lot about their family or their business or both. So they're looking for additional advisement and protections to really just kind of put a force field around what they care so much about. So those are inherently really nice conversations to have. Um, and we, uh, yeah, we're, we're blessed. Awesome. That's great. So just to go over a little bit about today's format, what we're going to do is we're really going to go through six questions that everyone should should know about estate planning and see how that's going to affect each individual person. So with that, why don't we get started right away? What is estate planning? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> it's a really uh, great opportunity for me to just sort of roll out the red carpet for the total view, because a lot of times when people hear the words estate planning and they start to conceptualize what that means, they think of a basic will, right? Making a will is estate planning to most people. Um, and that's not to say that there doesn't exist a place within an estate plan for a will. Of course, you know, oftentimes um, we are making a will as a part of the estate plan, but really it's kind of the aggregation of documents and actions that a person can take just to make sure that when their time is up, their wishes are being respected, right? There's something legally enforceable, um, ensuring that everything is gonna go as smoothly as possible. Um, obviously, you know, we don't have a crystal ball and, and, and life is tough for, for the people that we're leaving behind if and when that day comes. But we just wanna make sure that your wishes are being respected. It's going to all be carried out at least as close as possible to the way you would have wanted, all right? All under the, under the spirit of just making sure that the loved ones that you leave behind their life is made as easy as possible. 
Awesome. So one thing just to kind of follow up on that. So you mentioned like obviously estate planning is setting up to make sure that when you pass away, your wishes are carried out. Most people I would say generally are going to think about that as something that they're going to take care of at an older age. When would you recommend or what type of life events would you recommend that someone really says, okay, I need to start looking at estate planning and my estate plan for the first time. And then when should they start updating changes to their estate plan? Yeah, the minute you turn 18, and there's a reason for that, when you turn 18 years old, all of a sudden you're deemed a legal adult, right? And your parents, they no longer have even like the medical information access that they used to yesterday. All right, so um, we very finely focus on what happens with assets after you pass away. And again, that's a huge component of estate planning. But even identifying the right people to make medical treatment decisions or financial decision making. You know, if, if you have a cognitive impairment and it's impossible or inconvenient for you to transact on your own behalf, those, those bills don't stop coming due. So we really have to make sure that there's kind of an answer to every question, whether that's death, whether that's permanent or short-term disability. Um, there, there are options and there are documents that can be you know, made part of an estate plan to really answer any of those difficult questions. So again, 18 years old, that's when um, really your parents lose the ability to just you know, gain access to your medical information, your financial information. Um, if something bad were to happen, you just want your trusted loved ones to be in a position to help. Awesome. So what happens if you pass away with no estate plan? Yeah, there's a lot of misconceptions about this as well. Uh, the reality is that there are these laws, these default state laws. They're called the laws of intestacy. And the state of Connecticut honestly has a will written for you. Um, when you make a will, what you're doing is you're superseding that default state law. Um, so I can get through some of the technicalities, but let's start, start really kind of straight down the middle here. For example, if you pass away with a spouse and children from that spouse, what happens is the first $100,000 of your probate estate goes to the spouse and then 50% thereafter, okay? The other 50% is split equally amongst your kids. Now, what constitutes a probate asset or a probate estate? Those would be solely owned assets that don't otherwise have any mechanism for distribution. All right, so like the solely owned checking account, savings account, business, piece of real estate. If it's not jointly held with survivorship rights, nor does it have a beneficiary designation, nor is it owned by a trust. These are all assets that are a part of your probate estate subject to distributions based on what the state of Connecticut blindly has written for you. Okay, great. So now with that, I mean, you mentioned like the solely owned assets and things like that. Do you come across a lot of people, especially you said, you know, married couple with children where they have a lot of solely owned assets or they don't realize the amount of solely owned assets that they have? Yeah, yeah. A lot of people come to me not knowing what they have. And I used to be surprised. And, you know, maybe I'm just desensitized to that these days. Um, it, it's also organization and understanding of what's going on. Um, really kind of setting your attention on what's there, what's not there. Are, are there any titling or beneficiary designation changes that need to take place? And actually I could fold this right back to the question of what is estate planning? Even at the most basic level of estate planning, a review of asset titling and beneficial designations is very much a part of it. Right, I mean, you know, one of the things that, you know, one of the first things that we take a look at, like when we're working with clients and working on their financial plan is, who are the beneficiaries of every single account that you have? 
And is that the right beneficiary? An example that I give almost every single client that I work with. So um, public school teachers in the state of Connecticut have a great pension. Their pension has a death benefit. They name their beneficiary. You name that beneficiary when you start working in your first public school job in the state of Connecticut. For a lot of teachers, that's 21, 22 years old, they're right out of college and they name mom and dad or mom or dad, right? They haven't named their spouse and they definitely haven't named their children. And then they teach for 35 or 38 years and they never update it. And it's, you know, when we're sitting down with a client, we say like, hey, who's the beneficiary on your pension? They usually look at us like, why? Why would you do it? And like you said, like just looking through that is, that's your kind of your first step is, well, what do you want to happen and who do you actually want to have your money? So that way, you know, should something happen, everything's all set for you. Good to hear them amongst friends because <laughs> I'm telling you, the amount of times that I tell people, if you take nothing away from this conversation, um, and I'm talking in terms of like an initial consult with a client, if you take nothing from this conversation, except for one thing, run home, pop open all of your life insurance policies, 401ks, IRAs, investment accounts, just make sure that the beneficiary designation is in line with your intent because you're right, things change over time. You know, we meet people, we disassociate with people, we have births, we have deaths in the family. Um, a lot of things change over time and proper estate planning uh, very, very much includes just being able to swerve when life swerves with you. All right, it's not a one-off transaction, it's a relationship, okay? It's a relationship that you have with yourself, with the others around you, with your own thoughts and feelings about who is to receive what. Um, so absolutely making sure that those beneficiary designations are aligned with the rest of your estate plan and your current intent, that, that, that's how you do it correctly. Awesome. So moving on with that, you know, you mentioned, you know, having everything, you mentioned the term will a little bit before. Am I all set if all I have is a will? <laughs> <laughs> if you're like the basic Joe or Jane out there, you think you are. Um, again, you probably have never bumped into an estate planning attorney who can't stand wills as much as this guy right here. Um, <laughs> and, and honestly, it's because of, of that misconception. You know, the, the last will and testament really has infiltrated pop culture and it's poisoned the minds of our community members to think if we've done a will, we're all set. We don't have to even take a peek ever again. Um, let, let's not even touch upon the point that you may have made this will 20, 30, 40 years ago and therefore just simply by the calendar turning and life changing, it's no longer appropriate. Um, but we also shouldn't stop there. We should educate ourselves and really avail ourselves of additional estate planning options. Um, we do a lot of revocable living trust planning over at Legacy Law Partners. Um, and I can get into a ton of different reasons why that's objectively better in a lot of ways than will planning. Um, but even if you rule it out, you owe it to yourself to just become educated on those options. You know, a lot of the people that I associate with on a day-to-day -day basis, wonderful, wonderful people who work extremely hard to build a business, to raise their families. You know, they would do anything for their spouse, for their kids. Um, so it, it kind of it baffles me that, you know, people don't pursue education to make sure that those exact same people or entities survive and thrive after they're gone. Right. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things. I don't expect my clients to know anything about financial planning. I want them to ask me, what do I need to do in order to accomplish whatever their goal is? And, you know, same thing with you. You're not expecting them to know what to do with estate planning. The real thing is asking the question, here, how do I take care of my kids? How do I take care of my spouse? How do I make sure my family, friends, charities that I love are taken care of 
because that's what I want and that's what's important to me. Bingo, exactly. And even if clients are not kind of proactively asking the questions, of course, we're in a position, Mike, as advisors that, you know, we should be prompting that conversation and really, you know, making sure that the education is available to them. And listen, at the end of the day, so long as I've done my part, you know, to introduce that education and give like a compare and contrast will versus trust and what the outcomes um, look like, clients can choose whichever pathway they'd like. Um, I just really, you know, take it upon myself and it's extremely important to me to just make that education available because it's oftentimes not, you know, you have to be, you, you almost have to bump into the right person that points you in the right direction. Um, and when people land in my conference room, I know that's my opportunity. You know, that's my opportunity not to quote unquote make a sale, but just better the lives of the children and grandchildren of my clients because, because they knew me. And that's extremely pride worthy coming from me. That's awesome. So that's about halfway through our question. So let's take a quick break. We'll head into our community spotlight and then we'll come back and finish up. Welcome to this week's Community Spotlight, the segment of our show where we focus in on the small businesses that are located in our community. This week, we're focusing in on today's guest, Brian Etter, and his law firm, Legacy Law Partners, located at 336 State Street in North Haven, Connecticut. They can be reached by phone at 203-446-4725 and online at LegacyLawPartners.com. Planning for your future and the future of your loved ones is essential. The attorneys of Legacy Law Partners understand the importance of preserving your assets and ensuring your legacy lives on. Their experienced estate planning attorneys provide personalized guidance and support to help you create a comprehensive plan that meets your unique needs and goals. From wills and trusts to asset protection and tax planning, they offer a full range of estate planning services to help you achieve peace of mind. Trust them to help you secure your family's future today. Again, that's Legacy Law Partners located at 336 State Street in North Haven, Connecticut and online at LegacyLawPartners.com or by phone at 203-446-4725. All right, great. So welcome back. So again, this is episode 17 of Money Equals M Squared. We're talking with Brian Etter, the managing partner from Legacy Law Partners. So Brian, before the break, we were talking about you know, education, really understanding the difference of like, are you all set with a will and what's in your estate plan? So you mentioned trust. Now, is needing a trust based on how much money or how many assets that you have? It's a little bit about that, but far less about that than you probably would think. Um, most of my clients, they actually opt to go with a revocable living trust as opposed to a will for completely non-monetary reasons, or at least mostly non-monetary. So what I mean by that is this. If you do a basic will, you are guaranteeing that your family's going to court when you pass away. The probate process here in Connecticut, it's, you know, it's not the end of the world, but it's also not optimal, far from it. We have to file inventories and there are hearings and you know, the entire system and the judge is there to kind of oversee and you know, in, in a way micromanage uh, the performance of an executor, okay? Um, the juxtaposition is that if you do a trust, it's a private administration. Okay, and assets become more instantly available for the successor trustee to manage and distribute. So there are a lot of conveniences and protections as well. Um, even if we successfully navigate the probate process, you know, in the context of basic will planning, on the other side of probate, your beneficiaries are going to receive a personal outright lump sum inheritance. And that's not always a great idea. Um, even if you fully trust your children or your grandchildren, you may not trust the world around them, okay? If you leave an inheritance for a loved one within a trust, it becomes highly protected against divorces, lawsuits, 
predator attacks. So the bottom line is, you know, and I say this all the time, I'd rather leave my children a little bit the right way than a lot the wrong way. You know, leaving money to, um, you know, your loved ones in a trust, it's, it's kind of insurancy, right? It it's kind mm -hmm. of feels and acts like taking out an insurance policy on the value of your estate. Um, and there are a number of different issues or contexts that we need to discuss to, to properly vet whether or not we should go with a trust. I'll give you some examples. Out-of-state real estate. You know, if you're one of those people who have the, I don't know, the, the condo in Florida or the log cabin in Vermont, if you pass away with your name on that piece of property, well, you've just signed your family up for multiple probates. Okay, you've got the main probate here in Connecticut, and then you have what's called ancillary probate taking place out of state. So the ability to, you know, kind of redirect those pieces of real estate into, you know, a Connecticut-based trust, you could actually take multiple probates off of your family's plate on the back end. So it just holds a higher value. Um, if there are sensitive assets like active businesses, I, I tell my business owner clients all the time, if you pass away with your name and your name alone as the owner of this business, you're probably setting up your business to fail in the immediate aftermath of your passing, right? Because nobody's authorized to access the business, the right. operating account, make payroll, um, you know, fill an order, reload on inventory, um, re-up on that marketing contract. So the business and therefore everyone dependent on the business, including all of your employees, you're putting them in harm's way. Instead, if you assign your interest in that business to a trust, the successor trustee has the immediate authority upon your passing to just take the reins and keep on running. Okay, and if we're doing it the right way, we're also leaving some instructions behind to the trustee about what to do, what not to do, what are the priorities, here's who to call, here's who to appoint as a co-trustee um, limited to just being able to manage that one highly sensitive asset. So proper planning could really save the business, save the employees. Um, there's a lot going on. Of course, if there are other concerns about, you know, maybe you have a son or a daughter that has a gambling issue, a drug or alcohol issue, um, there are a number of different reasons why kind of tucking their inheritance into a trust and perhaps naming a third party independent trustee as the person responsible for overseeing and managing and distributing, it, it can make a great deal of sense whether we're leaving a dollar behind or a trillion dollars behind. You know, so it, it's interesting. So you, you mentioned a lot of things which kind of trigger a lot of thought points, right? So, you know, a lot of people own a business. A lot of people have that second property where you're just creating ease of moving forward. And the revocable trust you mentioned, obviously that's the whole purpose of it. It's going to give you some protection and it's going to make everything easy. Um, with that said, I think the idea of the trustee is something that a lot of people have heard of, but maybe they're not so familiar with exactly what it can do. And when you mention the business, being able to have a, a successor trustee that can take over for you, immediately take control of your business and continue operating, that's why a lot of people are in business. They don't plan on the business dying with them, especially if it's in the time of an untimely death, right? If you pass away young before you're retired, you still need the revenue from that business coming in to help support your family. So we talked, you know, the whole conversation we've been talking about, you know, taking care of and leaving money and all these assets behind, but what about leaving a revenue behind that your family is planning on you know, for the rest of your life. And, and I think for me, that's one of the big takeaways with mentioning the, you know, the revocable trust is really having that, you know, sensitive, would you meant to say sensitive items, you know, 
uh, that's where that's important to really be able to continue taking control of those those assets for you. No doubt about it. I mean, coming from a, a business owner in my own right, we pour so many blood, sweat, and tears into that place, right? We, we spend so many hours working with our, our colleagues, our staff, our clients. We're building something. The thought of improperly planning and having that result in you know, everything that we work so hard to accumulate and build on the business side just kind of faltering um, or having to tread water extremely hard, you know, just to try to make ends meet in the, in the weeks or months after the business owner passes away. Yeah, there are a lot of exposures there. It, it, it's kind of a breach of common sense, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things, you know, um, we were talking before, you had some some fun facts people don't really realize about estate planning. What were some of those things you wanted to share? Yeah, I guess only an estate planning nerd like myself would, would, would call these fun facts, right? <laughs> uh, but they're important to know. Um, let's start with the age of majority. So these default Connecticut you know, laws, these statutory laws that trigger the distribution of assets um, in a very blind way, right? Blind to the family dynamics, blind to who you care about, don't care about, trust, don't trust. Um, one of the issues as well is that so long as somebody is 18 years old, they're receiving an outright lump sum personal inheritance. And maybe for the 18 year old, that sounds like a great idea right <laughs> off the rip. Um, but I'm here to tell you that mo most often than not, it's, it, it, is, it is not. Um, we're dealing with a young, developing individual who has probably just suffered the loss of, of some extremely close family. Otherwise, we wouldn't be talking about this, you know, kind of hypothetical 18-year-old receiving anything. Um, these days, you know, you don't, have to, you don't need me to tell you, 21, 25, 30, these are all ages that most people uh, would kind of identify as more aligned with what a quote-unquote adult looks and acts and feels like these days. So the ability to supersede those default state laws, even at the basic will level, you can actually move the age of majority up from 18 to whatever you'd like. So that, that's one quote fun fact. Um, I'll also introduce another one. Beneficiary designations. We talked about that earlier, you know, as, as we were shooting here. Those supersede what the will says. And a lot of people don't understand that. When you make a beneficiary designation, uh, you actually just entered into a contract with the financial institution about who is to receive that account, that policy, whatever the case may be, upon your passing. And so if you've misidentified that person, or you haven't given it much thought for 20, 30 years, or let's say you didn't, you didn't even mention a beneficiary at all, what happens? Well, if you didn't mention a beneficiary at all, it defaults to your estate, and then it actually does uh, come under the terms of your will. But if you, let's say, identified a beneficiary from a previous marital relationship, or maybe it was predating your marriage at all. So as Mike mentioned before, a mom, a dad, back when you were 21, 22, 23, those are the individuals that are going to receive that boatload of cash, you know, when you're no, no longer here. So making sure that the beneficiary designations, um, the way the assets are titled, these are all, you know, kind of things that supersede the will uh, and a lot of people don't realize that. You know, and one thing I just want to just reiterate, you mentioned if you don't name a beneficiary on something that you can, it defaults to going to your estate and then it follows the rules of your will, which a lot of people are probably listening saying, well, that's not that bad. <laughs> but that also means it's going to default to heading to probate and that diff, I don't want to say difficult, but that process of going through probate before you have access to that money, where when if you're named as the beneficiary, all that it takes to receive that money is a copy of the death certificate, right? Just proving the person has passed away and you are the person named as the beneficiary and you can receive that money right away. 
So in a situation where that's money that's necessary to run a business or keep a household going or pay some bills, you wanna get that done quicker. So it's important to, even if the people are named properly in your will, to name them as the beneficiary so you can just keep that process simple. Absolutely, absolutely. Let me throw one more at you, Mike, because I know a lot of people, when they um, you know, have a spouse that has passed away, and, and let's say their marital home was jointly held with survivorship rights, a lot of people think to themselves, well, gee, if I just received 100% of this piece of property because it was jointly held with survivorship rights, I don't have to do anything probate related with this piece of property, correct? It's actually incorrect. Here in Connecticut, when you pass away with any ownership interest whatsoever in, in real estate, whether that's solely owned property, jointly held, even if you only had a life estate, right, like a life use interest mm -hmm. uh, to a piece of property, there are probate liens that are automatically applied to that property. So Mr. and Mrs. Jones own their house together, Mr. Jones passes, Mrs. Jones doesn't you know, even dip a toe into probate, doesn't do anything whatsoever to release these liens, and now all of a sudden, five, 10 years later, she looks to sell the house. That's gonna be very problematic, right? Because the buyer's attorney is gonna pull title and see this historical um, representation that is Mr. Jones, but he's not here anymore. So he's no longer available to us to sign the sale paperwork, uh, but we never actually released the liens. So yeah, a, a lot of people get frustrated and confused at the notion of why is probate involved? I thought I didn't have to go to probate. Um, you really have to kind of just call someone like myself, ask the questions, uh, paint the picture, and then let the professional just kind of point you in the right direction at that point. Great. So last thing, you know, you've given us a ton of great information today. Can you give us some idea of what this process would cost to, to get started with something like this? Yeah, yeah. And I actually like to demystify the fee quoting process. Uh, people are going to hear it anyway, right? You're never going <laughs> right. to hire me without ever knowing what you're paying me, right? Um, I do flat fees, right? And all of the attorneys at Legacy Law Partners, we really veer very heavily into, into flat rates uh, for a couple of reasons. Um, hourly billing, in my opinion, is a very archaic kind of relationship between an attorney, you know, attorney and client. What will very likely happen at the hourly fee quoting level is you're not gonna call me with questions, right? If, if I'm right. charging you X number of dollars per hour, well, you're gonna be fearful of the invoice coming in the mail. Mm -hmm. So you're not gonna call with questions, you're not going to request a review meeting, you're not going to ask me to call your financial advisor or, I don't know, have a conversation with your children because of just the, the cost mounting. It's kind of that blank check concept. Instead, when we you know, really prioritize flat rates, there's cost certainty on both ends. You know, for, from a budgeting perspective, I kind of know what the relationship um, is going to represent monetarily, so that's nice. But even for, the, you know, and especially for the client, just knowing what the total do dollar investment is, you know, at the, uh, at the estate planning level, it's, it's inherently extremely positive because it allows us to just present the best and the brightest of what we have and have those conversations with everybody who should be, you know, accessing them, right? That, that's, that's kind of the... Uh, setup where I'm on the phone with the accountant, I'm on the phone with the financial advisor, I'm having a meet and greet with the kids so that, you know, when something bad happens, they're not starting from scratch trying to understand who I am and what I represent within this equation. All right, so I, I doubt we're going to want to talk about exact, you know, numbers here, but just from a high level, flat rates are very beneficial. Yeah, and you know, and it's really important because the stuff, like you said, that people are skipping is the most important part. And I think that's, that's a great way to you know, kind of wrap up today, right? You're creating a plan 
for someone that's not going to be here when it's time to execute the plan. So if you're not meeting with the accountants, the financial planners, with the family, the children, who are you doing the plan for? And I think, you know, like you said, you know, having that flat fee, having just an upfront payable fee, say, hey, this is what it this is what it's going to cost. And I'm going to take care of everything that you need me to take care of. I think that's going to give people a lot of peace of mind, which is the whole reason that they go through an estate plan to begin with is they want that peace of mind. So um, with that, I'm, let's uh, wrap up for today. This wraps up episode 17 of Money Equals M Squared. Um, make sure you follow us uh, online at LLTWM.com and check us out on Instagram at Team LLT. Thanks. The views and opinions expressed in this episode are not necessarily the views and opinions of Satara Investment Services. Any recommendations mentioned in this episode are meant for educational purposes only and should not be construed as advice or personal recommendations. Always consult your financial advisor, tax advisor, or attorney for details related to your specific goals, risks, and objectives. Investments have risk and can lose value. They are not FDIC insured. The situations presented are hypothetical to illustrate key topics and should not be construed as actual client situations or experiences. Lagus Lucas and Torello Wealth Management operates under Satara Investors and is responsible for the production of this show. All views and opinions are solely that of Lagus Lucas and Torello Wealth Management. You should always obtain a prospectus when available prior to investing to know your risks, costs, and fees associated with any investment. The advice and strategies presented today are general in nature and should not be used in your planning until you consult with your attorney and CPA in your specific situation. All of the legal strategies discussed in this episode are the views and opinions of Brian M. Etter, attorney, and not specific recommendations. Any specific recommendations on your own personal situation should be brought up to your attorney so they can review your personal estate situation. Satara Investors is a marketing name of Satara Investment Services, securities and insurance offered through Satara Investment Services, LLC, member FINRA SIPC, advisory services offered through Satara Investment Advisors, LLC. Satara is under separate ownership from any other named entity, 127 Washington Avenue, second floor west, North Haven, Connecticut, 06473, phone number 203-239-4545. Individuals affiliated with this broker-dealer firm are either investment advisor representatives who offer only investment advisors advisory services and receive fees based on assets or registered representatives who offer only brokerage services and receive transaction-based compensation or both an investment advisor representative or registered representative who can offer both types of services.